We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Right, remembering in the storm. Come as you are. You know, it's important, um, and I thought what James said was good, that even uh, no matter the situation we're in, we can still come to God. He didn't say, right, get into a happy mood or get into a worshipful mood or whatever. Come as you are. I think that's really important. But I think there's something really important about coming as we are because God is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be thanked. He's worthy to be worshipped no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter the feelings we have. And I think that was a really important point to go to. Right. Right, if you have a Bible with you, if you could turn to Judges 2, that will be good. Right, so, Judges 2, right, I'm going to actually take it from verse 8, and I'm going to read in my unusual Bible, so don't be worried, yours doesn't read like mine does. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, it's always funny that one, son of Nun, nuns are not supposed to have children, but anyway, Joshua... (laughs) Son of, it's spelled the same way like uh, anyway. um, Joshua son of Nun we're going to that another time uh, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 that's not a bad innings is it um, they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in, and now we get to some difficult names which I'm going to avoid right um, anyway that place in the hill country of Ephraim north of the Mount Gash um, the whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. I think your Bible's probably said the whole generation died, which is probably helpful. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. Interesting, isn't it? So we've got this great hero of the faith, Joshua. He's, he's done great things. He's, they've had the law. They've gone throughout the land. They've, they've uh, they're overthrown Canaanites. They've done all the kind of stuff. All the stuff that Moses was supposed to do, he's gone on and done. It's been a great time. And, uh, but that whole generation has died off. And he dies. And it says, another, um, after them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done. It's really important. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Ash... Ash, I don't know how to pronounce that. How do we go? Ashereth Poles? I've got a different spelling definitely here. So we're going Ashereth? Anyway, they worshipped stuff, right? The Baals and other things. So... Here's the key part. They remembered no more. I think... Now, okay. Confession for those who uh, don't know me. I was a history teacher. I kind of feel that history is important. Okay? So taking that, that, uh, that importance of remembering is really key. Really key. And I'm struck at the moment, I'm not going to go into that this much today, is that amongst us, are our fathers and mothers of the faith. Those of us who have been part of our church journey for 40, 30 years, a long period of time. And there are things that they have had to go through that, quite frankly, I have not. 
And for those of us who are arriving and being part of things, there are things, you know, in terms of being free. Even, even, the, even the music we have, the ability to express ourselves, to see God be present day healing and speaking in tongues and all of those things that we live in the goodness of, um, they had to kind of fight for. Some, some people got kicked out of churches. And that was hard. I, I, I um, spent some time in America and there, there was a family I was part of there and they, they, were, they were quite... I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of describe a class system in America, but they were, they were like rich folk. Uh, we've been watching uh, Prince of Bel-Air. They were like, they were like Bel-Air folk. They were like... And when they met with God and got filled with the Holy Spirit, they got kicked out of the Baptist church they were part. But that was a whole social scene. It meant they lost all of the friends they had. And, and they had to suffer for things. And sometimes I think um, there, I realize there are things which, which people fought for which I don't value so much because I didn't fight for it. But if you bought a car for yourself, it doesn't really matter if, uh, if it was beautiful or not beautiful, you'd love that car. My car was called Esmeralda because she didn't always start. If she started, she was Esme. If she didn't start, there was a thing on it called a choke. Yeah, the youngins, they don't know. You don't know. You don't know nothing. Anyway, right. But that first car, particularly if you had to earn it for yourself, that thing you had to fight, you had to put money away for, that, that's worth something. And, and there's a habit that we can have not remember, we, we don't remember it. Now, partly we don't remember it because we weren't there to remember it in the first place. You can only remember if you've been there. That was a bit of a conflict. Yes, unless you've been taught. You can remember on behalf of generations before. Um, it's interesting, in many tribes, as they come to tell and make a key decision, they retell the story of the nation. Um, it's very interesting. They put everything in context. So, um, they remembered no more, and then there's a bunch of stuff that happened as a result of that. The other thing I've been looking at just recently, and again, I'm not going to go into this loads, is on Sabbath. Now, let's see if I've got my bits in the right place. Okay, right, if you have got your Bible there, have a look at Exodus 20, and we'll go to, this is, we can look at the Ten Commandments. Right, uh, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. Interesting, labor six days. Yes, none of this part-time working. Six days, well, that's Saturday as well. I can tell you what, in my house, when I receive my list, it feels like a day of work. It comes with a certain urgency. And for those of us who grew up in the 1980s and and 1990s, that Northern Irish accent has a certain fear. Right, you muck my house up. So, um, yes, yeah. you see, again, young people don't understand that accent. It gives us a certain fear. Anyway, right, okay. Uh, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughters, your male or female servant, and sometimes it says slaves, I think, your livestock or resident alien who is within your city gates. Right? Interesting. Everyone stops. Uh, I think the word is uh, Shabbat, the word for Sabbath, which is to stop. It's very interesting. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and declared it holy. Just remember that last bit. For the Lord made the heavens 
and the earth and the sea and everything, da-da-da-da, right? So keep the Sabbath because God kept a Sabbath in creation. Right, now whip forward to Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Be careful to keep the Sabbath, right? So this is interesting. Um... I'll give you context in a minute. So, uh, so all the same things here, everyone resting, da, 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 even donkeys and oxes this time, and that kind of thing, female slaves. Right, and then, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, in Exodus, the focus is because creation... And Deuteronomy, the focus is because you were rescued from Egypt. What's the difference? Why is it different in Deuteronomy to Exodus? Who was the second law spoken to? The next generation. And what's the Sabbath is always precursed with the word remember. So the people in Exodus didn't need to remember they were being rescued from Egypt. They knew it. But the, the Deuteronomy generation needed to be told to remember because it wasn't them. They were coming in to the promised land. They needed to remember. They needed to remember their rescue. They needed to remember the journey. They needed to have that back. Because if they didn't remember, we start to see what happens. Okay. Let's go on. They worship the bales and other things. Let's have a little bit of context. This is the, uh, this week's copy of The Week. The Week is a great magazine if you want to look very impressive. You can read it in about an hour, and once you've read it, it means you've read all news media for that entire week. Yeah. Not even English. It's every, all media, okay? I found it to be very helpful. It just gives little summaries, and if you really want to find something, you can jump into it. But it's really good. I've read it and it makes people think I know more than I really do. Very impressive. Right, so this week it says the age of process. What's fueling anger? So they're noticing, they've noticed that right across the world there's all kinds of protests going on. And people say, well, it's, cause, it's because there's a corruption and lack of democracy. And that's certainly what's going on in Hong Kong and in other places. There's a kind of this thing, you know, we're not happy about the government. But then you look at France... They've really been protesting against some more taxes. And here's the interesting one, which I didn't look into. I'm just believing what they said. But in India, there's been protests about the price of onions. But they found another factor. They found another factor. There is one thing that's, that is common with all of these protests. It's young people. In history of great protests and riots, and they looked at... Uh, 1848 uh, being a great time, lots of outbreaks of protests and different things happening all around. There was lots of lots of kings and things got changed across Europe in that period. And 1968, some of you any involved in student protests? 1968? No, it's over 40. That's true. That's true. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm just watching Paul Leach there because I'm pretty sure he hid behind his hand. You not doing student protests in 1968? No, no. I thought there might be somewhere. Angela Fitch was protesting in 1968. Okay. But the common feature between uh, 2019 and all those other dates is a huge growth in young people. And it's interesting that the, the population of, of the world is, is much younger than it's been proportionally. And also you've got a lot more students, right? Now, if you want to hear someone talk about students, take some time with James 
uh, Dorman, he has got some very inspiring things to say about students, about the value he believes they bring to society. A part of the issue is that you've got a lot of students in these periods of time and today, and the, and the, the percentage, I mean, huge percentage difference. I forget one country, I think it's Chile. They're talking about 20% people of that age, students, to 70%. And what's the problem? Getting all educated, and there ain't no jobs. There's nothing for them to do. There's no vision, there's no purpose, those kind of things. So then what do they do? They have protests. You know, in, in, here's this little nice factoid. You know, in Japan, they are, they are um, in their pro... Not Japan. I got, I, there's no protests in Japan at all, other than the British, the English fans, not very happy about the rugby. But um, in Hong Kong, I have to move across and down a bit. In Hong Kong, um, the protests are waving Catalan flags. Mmm, Interesting. Just you and me, Ginny. Right, okay. Right. The whole thing about freedom, independence, those kind of things. So, youth. But what's the problem with young people? Other than problems that we might have with students, what is the problem with youth? What's a good thing about youth? Young people. Time and energy. Time and energy. That's right. Hopeful. All that kind of stuff. Fearless. Yes. Why, where does fear come from, just naturally? Oh, you and me, we've been reading William Blake together. Right, okay. Experience brings fear and memory and things like that. Now, what's, that what's that phrase? Youth is squandered on the young. Something like that. There's a whole thing about... The thing about youthfulness is, is back to my earlier slide. They don't remember because they ain't got anything to remember. Right? And that, that importance about the, that understanding and knowing... And, and I want to bring in that thing about memory, just for this next thing. I know you can't read all this, but, but just uh, this, this is an article, again, from the same the week. I really don't have time to read it properly uh, this week, but it says here, a boost for the far right in, in parts of East Germany. And it says that they're seeing a growth of extremist parties in Germany, communist and far right parties, like the Nazi parties, Right? When, what's, what's key about that? Any, any, any year nine old GCSE history student can tell me what's the key thing about the growth of... When's that like? Nine to thirties, yeah. We see, see, it's not only the far right, but it's also the Communist Party is back again. Those are the two parties that are fighting here. And you know what? As I was scanning this and cropping it in, I realised, what's the country over here? Can anyone see? Italy. Guess what? Growth of right-wing parties in Italy as well. So as you look into the article, it says well, one of the problems is that, that for years and years and years, that in Germany, to some extent in Italy, people were fearful of right-wing parties. You couldn't even think of having a right-wing party again, an extremist party. They'd come through the war, they'd come through the Nazis. They couldn't even imagine having it. They remembered what it had been like. But what's the problem now? They don't remember. So therefore that fear, that knowledge, is not there. Oh, it can't have been that bad. Sometimes, I'm not sure, I, I, I've not checked out recently, but there was certainly a time where you didn't really, in Germany, didn't really look at the bad bits of the past. We're quite good in Britain. We like looking over our past, look at us, aren't we terrible? Do all the terrible things we did. And we did do some bad things, we did some good things as well. But 
uh, in Germany, they, there were periods of time where they didn't look at that. And actually, in East Germany, where this is, of course, it was in the communist era, and they didn't look at that stuff particularly. But they don't remember... And I, I, the point that's been made here on the article is, is those parties in the middle, those centralist parties, were, were kind of complacent. And, and they, didn't, they didn't, because they thought there was an alternative, they didn't really deal with things. But now they've seen to be failed. People are without jobs, without hope, without the, and they're starting to look for alternatives because they don't remember. That's a key factor. Let's come back here. Right. So what's up with the bales then? Anyone here, if you're, if you're a really proper kind of Neil Jakes type preacher, you do word studies, right? And you go in and you look at the Hebrew and you look at the meaning and that kind of thing. Every time I do a word study, I look at a word and I find after an hour of study that the word like hard means Hard. Every time I hope I'm going to find a word, it's going to make a difference. We're going to come to a word study. And it was not the word I was looking at. It was a word next to it that I'm going to base everything on. But there you go. But so I had to look at the bales. I thought, right, what's this thing with the bales? Okay. And do you know bale means master or lord? So it's interesting. Um, Gideon. Gideon. Remember Gideon? Look at that. Right, Gideon. Gideon was called... He, part of his name was Baal because he was a master of this that, and the other so it was actually quite a common name so, so we see that Baal so they were, the Baals were seen as alternative gods or masters or someone who was in charge that kind of thing but there's an important thing particularly in a uh, Israel or a, a Middle East context um, they were seen as a god of fertility now whenever I see um, God of fertility in a pagan sense I'm realising that some of their rituals are going to be a little bit on the feisty side so, but we're not going to go into that at this point um, God of the Jew not Jews but Jew no, as in, yeah? God of rain but interesting both Jew and rain okay so if you're in a fairly arid dry climate a God that's supposed to provide rain and dew is kind of important, isn't it? In that sense, every time they were looking to Baals, they were looking to alternative providers, an alternative to God the Father, alternative to Yahweh, shall we say. So that, that need to look, to, to look for an alternative, to provide, to make something, to give us something. I think we see that again and again. I think we see that in our own culture. We, start, we have that term, uh, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, God provided. He provided manna in the desert. He provided water. He provided meat. He provided all these things out of nothing. It didn't make sense. They didn't need the rain if they've got manna. So God makes all these provisions for them. And they keep falling back to doing it their own way. Isn't that like us? When everything is a bit easy... We fall back to do it our own way. And, and yesterday we looked at the whole thing about the period of the judges in the Bible. What was the symbol? Anyone remember? Cycling. This cycle. God rescues. They do all right. They lose focus. They stop worshipping him. 
they fall, they get overtaken, they have to be rescued. It's just this cycle all again and again and again. And we see that there. They start turning to these alternative providers, these alternative ways. I was reading something on um, uh, Catholic social teaching, and it came up with this. It's talking about this whole concept of the common good. So to be committed to the common good is not an easy task when we've become so bloated and find our identity in so many possessions and financial successes. That, that sense of being bloated, that sense of being, uh, of identity being in something other than God. That's why, I mean, we can focus on possession and financial successes. To be honest with you, you lot were pretty good. I don't, I don't think that many people really focus on their possessions or financial successes. But we can be focused on our abilities to solve our own problems or our talents in different things. So I, I read alternative there. Our identity has been wrapped up in our alternative and that kind of thing. Uh, we can so easily turn from God to sustain us to pretty much anything else. It may not be money for you, but what is it? Is it busyness and activity? I don't know how many times I do myself. People say, oh, how's your week? Oh, busy, busy. I wish I could say productive, productive. <laughs> Those of us, there is a certain wing of us that we really like busy. There's some people in my family, they say they like nothing better than a task sheet ticked off. I actually had a task sheet the other day. I was ticking it off and I thought I might give it to them for Christmas. <laughs> or they might like that. That, that, sense, that sense of doing a bigger and better and busier and da 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 I would say that's, that's, that's kind of that's kind of modernism there, that sense of pro progress and that kind of thing. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm postmodernist. I do not believe the next iPhone will make my life better. I do not think the next piece of technology will make my life better. I'm not, you know, the bigger car will not make anything better. I'm not, I don't, I'm, you know, I really don't think those things will have such success on me. And I think many of us are the same. So what do I, so you've got those people, they want to get stuff done. Oh, I've done all this today. I feel really good. Task sheet, tick, 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 tick. Right? Do you know anyone like that? Go and look at them. Look at them across. Because I could wait for God to convict them, or you could just point it out to them. Anyone like that? Give them a poke. Right? Or, or maybe, maybe your, um, your alternative provider, the thing, is distraction. Trivia. Stuff like that. You know, it might be, you may have, you know, you may not have a great TikTok sheet, but your thumbs may be really well worked on whatever computer game you've been playing. Or, you know, some of you may actually at the moment be doing something like this on your phone and you're not writing notes, you're playing some game or something. I don't want to say them because I'll reveal how out of touch I am. I should have the music from Candy Crush go ding at this point. We, we can fill our time and our focus and our distraction. When we're under pressure, some of us work to get the thing done in our own strength. Some of us will look for distractions. And of course, some of those distractions can be quite serious uh, and lead us astray and not do us much good at all. So, in, in the midst of the world we live, in the midst of the storm, it can be a negative storm or just a busy storm, but I, I believe there is a sense of storm we face. Um... I've been very interested in looking at this stuff about Sabbath or Shabbat to stop so that we don't get... And the thing I keep coming back to is this, this command in the Ten Commandments and then to stop 
to not be carried, to not just react. I find it really difficult not to react. Some of you may have received the odd email that wasn't thought out, or certainly wasn't spell-checked. Um, you know, just to, just to respond. Sometimes to get off your plate, sometimes you've got a reaction, that kind of thing. Um, but just to stop, just to stop, step aside. In our mind, in actuality, it's so important. So important to do that. So key. It's easy in life to get distracted in the midst of the storm. It's even harder to remember that God is our provider and we can look to different masters to Baals. Yet we can be at peace and even minister in the midst of the storm. We see Jesus, he's sleeping, he's resting in the storm. And of course he pops up in the middle of the storm and then ministers, well he does two things doesn't he? He ministers the fear of his disciples but he also commands the storm to stop. And I think that's a good picture of how it can be for us. When in the midst of the storm, there's lots of stuff in the Bible about standing firm or God being a strong tower. Um, But in a time uh, I went through, there was a particular word about being a lighthouse. And it's funny, as I was kind of preparing or thinking about what to speak, I I was on, um, this is um, Spotify, and this image came out and I thought, wow, can you see what's going on? See a lighthouse here? It's not the best picture, obviously, because it's gone on. But what else can you see? Tell. See what you see. What can you see? Huh? It's a cliff. Yes, a cliff. I didn't see that, but that's a good bit. Yeah. Fog. Fog. Good. There's a light. It's not a turned off thing. Right? It's pretty murky. It's hard to see what's going on. Yeah? It's shining a light. You can bet it's pretty cold, it's pretty wet, it's a good time to be hunkered down inside. But the lighthouse keeper is not just looking after himself, he's shining a light for other people. Isn't that interesting? Right in the middle of the storm, he's still shining a light, or she's shining a light. That's, that's interesting. And I suppose I, I said to myself, God, could I be this? Could I be this kind of role, that I'm hunkered down and I'm still able to shine a light. It's a strong place, but it's got a secondary role. It's shining light, it's being salt, or it's being a city on a hill. A story you all know well. Right, Gideon. Okay, what's the key parts of the story of Gideon? You have to answer me, you can't just sit there silently. Yes, go on in, Martin. He gave God a test. Yes. Gave God a test, wanted to find out what God was really saying. Good. What else? What, what's this, some stages he goes through? Can anyone remember that? What's he do there? He reduces, God tells him to reduce down his army, sorry Neil. He was threshing wheat in a wine He was hidden away, he was kind of fearful, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Okay, there was that whole bit where, where he, he gathers this army together and God leads him to whittle it down. How many people does he whittle it down to? 300. You know that, that picture, the last batch he got rid of, it was to do with the way they drunk. Some stuck their heads in the water and some scooped it and they were aware if you've got your head in the water and your backside up in the air, you're really not much use for anything, right? Sometimes we want to put our heads in the sand, don't we? And just hide away. But actually, that thing about, can I be, I'll, I'll stand on this seat so you can see me, but here, if I'm, if I'm crouched and I'm, I'm drinking, I'm still aware, you're not going to creep up on me. I might be having a bit of drink here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch out for you. 
I mean, having been around for you lot, sticking my head in the water, I'd know that one of you would push me in for certain. So. But that whole thing about being poised and ready, I want to be poised and ready for whatever God's got for me. I don't want to have my head in the sand or head in the water in that sense. It's interesting, again, let's, if you've got your Bibles there, let's turn to uh, Judges 7, um, word, uh, uh, sorry, verse 15. Neil said that, uh, that he was afraid. He was, um, he was threshing wheat. So he's always kind of, war- kind of dealing with fear, Gideon. And he kind of says before this battle, but God, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still feel fearful. Um, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. That's why I can't find the verse. Right, here we go. Okay. So God says, go down into the camp. He sneaks into the camp of the enemy. Um, Oh, it's the previous bit, that's why I can't find it. So they've got a picture. One of, them, one of the Midianites, the enemy, wakes up. Says, that night the Lord said to him, get up and attack the enemy, uh, the, the camp, for I've handed it over to you. But if you are afraid to attack the camp, go down with Pura, your servant, listen to what they say, and then you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. Now the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the... Anyone? People with a funny Q name there. Uh, had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camels were innumerable, da 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 When um, Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. He said, listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian ca- uh, Midian, Midianite camp, struck a tent, and it fell. And the loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. And his friend answered... This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midian camp over to him. Now, note this bit. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. And then he returned to Israel's camp and said, get up. It's interesting, isn't it? When he heard the account, had God done anything? Not at that point, he'd given a dream. Nothing had happened. When he heard, what was his reaction? His reaction was to worship. He hadn't seen the result of it, but he worshipped God anyway. He worshipped God anyway. And here's my word study, which I know you've all been looking forward to. Right. The word for interpretation is breaking or shattering. It had a breaking and shattering effect. And actually it says the word for Worship here was bow down. In my interpretation, it says bow down in worship. That whole thing about again saying, you're God. You're God. I'm now realising you're God again. I'm putting you in the right place. You're God. Yeah? Don't often think we're getting ready for battle. You know, think of getting your arms ready and that kind of thing. Right. We're getting ready for battle. We'll have a quick sing song. It's not necessarily the first thing to do, but it does recognise what needs to happen. Gideon only needed a whiff to worship. Yeah, that's your phrase for today, a wish to, a whiff to worship. He only needed a whiff of a victory to turn himself to worship. He had, didn't have to see it all, he just had that connection. I wonder how many of us need to just, let's, let's just see, remember that whole thing about the, the cloud the size of a man's hand, or whatever, we just need to see that whiff. God, just tell me this thing. I, I heard, is Judy Webster here today? I heard that uh, Judy's been praying with people in the park, and she saw this woman, and she thought, if I say hello and she says, I'm in pain, I'll know you want to, me to pray for her and heal her and see her healed. And of course, 
That's, that's a little bit, that was a little test, that was a whiff. And Judy said, oh, hello, how are you doing? Oh, I'm in pain. And she said, oh, we've got to pray for her. That's, I want to be ready for those whiffs. Those whiffs so I can worship God and put him in his right place. So what do we see so far? We see that humans forget easily and sometimes choose to move away from remembering how God acts. We look for alternatives to submitting and trusting to him, the Baals. And in the midst of the situation, before there is a resolve, there's a place in him uh, to worship and to put him in the right place. So I came back to this thing, how can I be a lighthouse in the storm? And there was a, a number of things, and I'm going to come in now, I'm going to finish off now. In my storm I went to, I found at one point, Heidi said to me, what are you doing? I was sitting on the couch, and she obviously heard something. And I said, to be honest with you, I'm just praying in tongues. I cannot think, I cannot talk, I do not what to do, so I'm just praying in tongues. It made a funny noise, obviously, because you're, what are you doing? Because I knew there was nothing I could think, nothing I could say, no way I could reason it. I didn't know, I just need to bypass my brain and just speak to God, let my spirit speak to his spirit. I just needed to tune into him in the midst of the storm. And that sense of, of realising God's place is really important. And then Psalm 23, I think, is so powerful for us. That recounting of truth, the Lord is my shepherd. He provides safety and guidance. And also, what else is there? But he prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. There's a defiance there. A lighthouse is not just a strong tower. It's defiant. There may be a storm around me, but I'm still going to, by the power of God, shine his light. And say there's something I can do. I may not feel I've got everything together, but I'm still going to be saying, God, let me stir up a light and shine a light. We go through an interesting time, different periods of time with work, where we look at the money we have and decide what we have to do. And we've got an odd period of time with Faith Action at the moment where we're looking ahead and we've got some money. We didn't know to do what, we didn't know at the start of the week, didn't know what to do with all the different things we had to do to achieve it. And I thought, yeah, that's all right, being generous when I've got money. But how about being generous when I haven't got money? And when I mean generous, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about generous of spirit. How about giving out of myself when I don't feel I've got anything else to give? But because I'm reliant on God. And I know in this time I went through that part of the generosity would be oh, the equivalent. I was going through a crisis and someone would come to me and say the equivalent of, I don't know, I've got a paper cut on my finger. And I could, oh, your paper cut, <laughs> your paper cut, you should see what I'm going with, my legs hanging off and you're coming to me with a paper cut. But the generosity means I still want to minister to them and love them in the midst of their paper cut. Yeah? Heidi got a paper cut yesterday, it was like her leg had been sawn off. <laughs> it was suddenly screaming. So paper cuts are very sore, I'm, you know, I don't want to put down on paper cuts but you know my meaning someone's that someone's and we see it often as parents with kids they're facing stuff which is just so small and, and I think cool you should see what I'm facing but I still want to minister them out of generosity during this time of crisis we were traveling and we came into an airport and realized oh we've not weighed our bags what if I get a fine for my bag and I thought really fine for bad compared with crisis you're facing nothing Nothing at all. I'm driving, trying to get somewhere. Oh, what if I get a speeding fine? Speeding fine, nothing. 
Nothing. You know what? Here's the key thing. Now I'm out of that period of crisis. I still want to think, bag fine, nothing. Speeding fine, nothing. Well, obviously, speeding fine is terrible because you're breaking the law. But you know what I mean. I want to retain that still that sense of, of generosity and, and thinking that I'm not overwhelmed by these small things. And we can get, my family get a little bit uptight with, um, with travel stuff. I don't know. I don't know if that's just on the male part of the family. Yes. Judy's nodding. Right. We need to remember and not fall into forgetting. The falling to forgetting led people to the bales, to the alternatives, to going to the gods of the rain and the dew and the other providers. But we need to remember. And sometimes we need to hear the testimony and the stories of others so we can jump into their memories and hold on to the truth. That's, I mean, that's why we keep coming back. We need testimony. It's not had a testimony today. We need those testimonies. When you're in a really bad time, you need to hear what God's doing for someone else. Because then you can say, hey, that shines a light. I have told other people's testimonies, kind of as my own at times. I've taken that and used that. I've used that to shine a light. Are you to be raised up and be a light in the middle of the storm? Is there something for you in that? The remembering is so key. I heard a story about a worship leader who for a period of time had some kind of illness and she was in a wheelchair and she was in a worship service and she looked across at this able-bodied young man who his hands in his pockets who was just kind of spectating in the worship and she said, God, I don't know if she said if or when, I don't know what her faith position is, but she said, God, when I'm out of this wheelchair, I will never stand in worship with my hands in the pocket like that and Praise God, she, got, she came, whatever happened, she was, you know, got better and was out of the wheelchair. I don't know if it was healing or a natural process. But she remembered that time. Guess when she remembered that time? When she was standing in worship with her hands in her pockets. I wonder how many of us need to remember. Some of you may not be in a crisis at the moment. That's great. But can you remember when you're in that crisis and the vows you made to God and the things you said you would do? Did you say, I will never put my hands in my pockets again? You know I'm being metaphorical here, yeah? Did you say, God, I'm not going to be in that place? Or maybe some of you are in the storm and you're saying, I'm in a storm, I need a strong tower. I can't be a light. But the same God who is our shepherd is preparing a feast for us in the middle of our enemies. And that generosity that we can have means that I might have my leg hanging off, but I can still minister to the person with the paper cut. When someone writes you a letter by hand, I've written to some people with a letter by hand, even if you couldn't read it, Ella got a letter from me by hand, it still says something. There was effort that went into that letter. When I serve someone in the midst of my lack, if I minister in the midst of my thing, I think it communicates something more. It's giving, it's that, it's that giving out of the lack as well. I think it's powerful. I can't give you all the verses and stuff, but I just think it's worth more, isn't it? I mean, Jesus talked about the widow's might being worth more. I want to come back to this. Is God calling some of us to be a lighthouse in the middle of the storm? I hope that you're not in a storm. If you're not in a storm, that's great. Just take your hands out of your pockets, right? But if you are in a storm... I want you still to shine a light. Thank 
you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk.com.